Thanks for joining us on another episode of A Quick Time Out. Today's guest is Frank Deal, the founder and CEO of Dribble Handoff. I had the chance to hear Frank speak this past spring up at the NABC convention in Minneapolis. What I loved about Frank's talk was the application of his analytics. He not only had the numbers, but he also had strategies for how we can affect certain areas of the game. I know some of you have seen his talk from that convention. You've maybe even heard him speak on some other podcasts. But in this conversation, I tried to ask him some different questions and come at things a little bit differently. So I hope it will provide you with some new ways to think about the application of analytics. As usual, I want to thank 323 Sports for sponsoring the episode. No matter what sport you coach, 323 can help you with uniforms, equipment, and other apparel, all at a great price and in a timely manner. For more information, visit 323sports.com. Now here's my interview with Frank Deal. I want to welcome Frank Deal from Dribble Handoff onto the podcast. Frank, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Tony. For the few that may not know you, can you kind of give people just a quick recap of how you got into what you're doing and what exactly you do now with your business? Sure. I created Dribble Handoff, which is the analytical platform for coaches of all levels, where I share underutilized strategies that I have found to provide an analytical lift. And these strategies, they're applicable at any level, NBA, depth of the high school, and youth levels. And I've been doing this for many years now, going back to even in high school, I used to skip class to run analytics for basketball. But the stuff that I'm doing now is 10 times more advanced, but I've always had that passion. During my intro, I said that one of the things that I really enjoyed about your session at the NABC convention was that you, you didn't just kind of ramble off statistics, but you explained how those statistics could actually impact the tactical side of the game. And I'm working with a mathematician right now who, who can get me numbers, but she really has no concept of the practical application simply because she doesn't understand basketball. Right. W- was that something that came natural to you or something that you've really had to work to develop? I am a basketball mind first, and I have a love for analytics. So it's really the merging of those two passions. But I have worked with coaches for many years now, and it's it's become seamless in terms of I take a basketball question and I'm able to then analyze it using an analytical investigative process. But then the feedback that I provide to you and to other coaches I'm only using that data and those analytics as supplementary evidence. I've already shared with you the overall strategy, and then I have the data to back it up. You've worked with several teams now, and if I were to ask a coach, one of those coaches that you've worked with, what's the value of having Frank or someone like you on their staff? What kinds of things are they specifically going to say? I think a great example is Coach Martelli. So I worked on his staff for two years as the director of analytics And we met and talked constantly throughout the day, at night. And what you're getting with me or anybody on the analytics staff, you're just getting increased evidence to support what our eyes are seeing. And in the times that it differs, what I have found with the really good coaches, the amount that the eyes and analytics differ is very small. And when it does differ, then you're able to go deeper and to see What is it? Why do they differ? Uh, And there might be something there. And then otherwise, it really just supports everything else that you are doing. And then there's always extra. You can improve and optimize your lineups and 
strategies and different ways that you play. And what you're really doing is you're gaining a competitive edge that other teams don't have. And you see NBA teams, some have 13 to 15 guys on their staff. So as much as you can, utilizing an analytics staff member is really key for lower levels in the NBA. I'm interested to hear just your opinion on this, just from observations of you working with those teams. Do you feel like it's not just benefiting now the coaches, but are the players interested in this kind of thing as well? Definitely, because you see it with college players that want to get drafted, high school players that want to pick up more offers, NBA players that want larger contracts. Everybody's looking at stats. So if you're able to drive up your shooting percentages by taking smarter shots, players realize they would want to do that. So analytics really supports that and it helps them figure out where they are most effective on the floor to help then attack the, from their strong suits and then also see and develop those weaker areas. So players are really receptive. And in my time working with teams, working with players has always been very easy. Players want to get better. and Analytics is just another way. I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into those specifics that you provide for the teams. Um, the, the first one is related to an article that you recently wrote. Um, I'll go ahead and link that, by the way, for those that are interested. But it, it talked about the effect of the extended three-point line and how it will have or what effects it will have on the college game. Without you feeling like you have to rehash that whole article, how significant do you project that change actually being this year? I have it at around less than a percentage, one percentage point off from where it was the previous year. It's The change is going to be negligible. The value between a mid-range shot and a three is so substantial that there would have to be a true drop-off in that three-point percentage to actually start taking more long twos. And I've, I've seen a lot of analysts now saying, with the new three-point line, team should start, you know, shot fake, take a couple of dribbles in and take that long two. And my data suggests that's still not the way to go. I think that that's a trap. And I think still continue to take as many threes as you were before. The data will come in in the next couple of weeks and we'll be able to start seeing it. But all of my models project that this is going to be a very small difference in three-point percentage. Do you feel like it will impact the two-point percentage paint shots because of the spacing that it allows for now? It definitely can. What, what I have found is the shots at the rim are highly effective shots, but the paint shots that are outside of the rim, outside of that restricted area, they're made at a higher rate than the outside the paint mid-range shots, but not much higher. So this will help with spacing. We'll get more shots at the rim and it'll really drive to make a more efficient game as long as we stay away from those long twos. We've got a game today against a Division One opponent, and so I'm interested to see how your theory holds up. Definitely. On the other side of the ball now, something I see and hear coaches frequently discussing are ball screen coverages. And it seems like a lot of coaches are, are choosing specific coverages based on some other component of their defense, whether or not they want to speed the tempo or they want to trap ball screens. Uh, you've looked at that from the perspective of how offensive score. Can you talk about that and maybe give some suggestions based on those analytics? So I wanted to look into ball screens because, as you pointed out, ball screens are increasing at every level. We're using them more and more. and They're up 24% in the NBA and up 20% in D1. And when I studied it, I wanted to understand what types of shots should we be looking to give up. And there's so much available to us using ball screens. 
that defensively, what types of shots should we really defend and what should we concede? And I broke down the ball screen into eight options. And the ball handler can take a runner, they can take a dribble jumper, and they can take it to the rim. Then there's the screener who can roll, slip, and pick and pop. And then there's also a third player outside of that. We can pass to a cutter. And we can also pass to a spot of shooter. And what I found is in looking at those eight options, by far the least two efficient options were the ball handler taking a runner or a floater and the ball handler taking a dribble jumper. And when you think about it, it really comes back down to that mid-range that we talked about taking really inefficient shots. And meanwhile, those other six options, they're really efficient. So when I analyzed it from a defensive perspective, obviously, you know, part of this is both offensive and defensive personnel and changing up our coverages. But overall, the data suggests that something like going over on the screen with a soft hedge, really forcing that ball handler into a mid-range shot is the best outcome that we can hope for. Is one of the things that you have, the conversations that you have with your coaches, is it kind of just helping them understand what are we going to live with as far as what are we going to allow to beat us versus we have to take away everything that they are able to do? Yes. My, my whole thing is, especially with ball screens, you're not going to be able to guard everything. Ultimately, you have to concede something. And for ball screens, that's where I think forcing that ball handler into these inefficient mid-range runners and dribble jumpers, that's our best outcome. Typically, when we think of ball screens, I'm thinking of the defenses as the ball is being pushed to the middle of the floor. Have you seen teams use a ball screen that actually goes away from the middle of the court to then kind of space for shooters? Or would that not really have any make any difference to you? It's a great question. And I, I would love to study that analytically and then get that back to Sure. Uh, we've kind of already discussed the ball screen, the three-point line, some of those major trends that people typically will immediately go to. But aside from those things, do you see anything that's going to impact the game at all levels uh, according to how the game is being played now that maybe we're either not doing or is only being done at the higher levels? Sure, Tony. I think something that you and I have talked about before, which is something I presented at the Final Four, inverting your offense. And when I looked at all of the data and the trends and the way everything is going, the first point is our bigs are stretchier than ever before. They're so skilled. They can shoot and make threes. And that's the first point to think about. And the second point is when I analyze post-ups, and everyone said the post-up is dead and it's inefficient. When I looked at it, the actual shot is inefficient, but the pass out of the post is a highly efficient shot. We get really good looks. That's because teams pay extra attention to the post. They bring double teams on the catch, on the bounce, and when we're able to get a good look coming out of that post pass, that's some of the best offense we can get. And not just in terms of post-ups, but when I compared those shots to typical spot-up shots and shots off screens, which are really efficient looks, those shots where we get a post pass and we get that shot, they're more efficient than even those shots. So as much as we can, we should be looking to play out of the post to get a pass. And that's where I bring up the inverted offense. If we're going to use the post to pass, we should be using our best passer. 
and that's our point guard. And what's great about this is we're able to get so much extra value there because guards don't practice post-defense as much as wings and bigs do. So our guards that practice post moves offensively are at a huge advantage. And those guards that are bigger, 6'3 plus, they're able to take advantage of a height differential that doesn't exist potentially with a big. Now we're looking at maybe a one, two, three inch height differential and they can win that matchup one-on-one if no extra help is brought. And I think the way the trends are going, as I mentioned, bigs are stretcher than ever before. So we can have four players along the perimeter and go one-on-one with our point guard inside. And I think that's a really good way of not many teams are using this. And I think it's a really good way to generate offense. This is something that we're already implementing with our team. And I'm, I'm excited to see what it looks like. It's just like you said, it draws so much attention. You say, well, we just won't double the post. It's inevitable that those perimeter defenders will turn and at least look at the ball. And if you teach your right. off ball players to use any kind of movement or interchanging on the backside, it's it's going to create some sort of big advantage for shooters. It's tremendous. The amount of eyes that you see all attached to the ball, and now you have your best passer there to exploit that. You get a nice, quick catch-and-shoot shot. It's a really good way of generating offense. Yeah, we've been doing it for only just a couple of weeks, and I'm excited to see what it looks like in an actual game. So as those that are listening to this, I have different levels, college, high school, middle school, coaches. There are a lot of people out there who are into analytics, and they're excited about them. There are some who are just now trying to understand them a little bit better. So for for maybe that high school coach or that middle school coach that's just trying to get into it and they, they're maybe overwhelmed when they see all these different numbers, where should they start? What, what What's going to matter to them as far as winning goes? The number one thing is effective field goal percentage. If you have time to do one thing, look at effective field goal percentage. When I went back and I looked at all the D1 data to see what determines winning the most, I found that 82% of games were won by the team that shot the higher effective field goal percentage in that game. So as much as other things matter, shooting really wins games. So whether it's over the course of the season or within the game specifically, tracking your effective field goal percentage is by far the most valuable thing a coach can do. Do you have any warnings to coaches who are simply following the age-old box score? I think that box score is a static measure. We can come into it and think, okay, if we hold them to under 10 threes made and force X amount of turnovers, well, that doesn't account for maybe the game was more physical than you expected or the pace was different than you expected. And now those static measures don't become valuable anymore. So I really find value in something like that from the box score. I think the best thing is being able to use the shooting numbers to then convert them into effective field goal percentage and then be able to track and say, how are we tracking within a game? And then over the course of the season, how are we tracking? And then also keep a side note of what types of shots are you getting? Are you getting really good looks? Because in a game, you might be able to say, we're getting good looks. Our effective field goal percentage right now is low, but I expect it to improve. Or in the reverse, we're taking bad looks and we're shooting a high percentage. Guys, we have to get better looks. We won't be able to sustain this in order for us to win the game. 
aside from those static stats, are there any analytical stack stats that maybe are promoted in the media or that coaches talk about that you would view as maybe being overrated? I think to some extent, plus minus can be overrated. Do you feel like that's individual plus or minus or team plus minus or both? Individual, just plus minus by itself. In a game, there's a lot of static and noise to just a specific plus minus. Over the course of the season, it gains a little bit of more value and significance. But within a game, it's such a small sample size and so much of it is overlap between playing a really good player with another player all the time. I think when you start to get into offensive and defensive net ratings, which are better measures of what plus minus is trying to determine, those are better ways of trying to understand player impact and player performance. There's so much that we could talk about. I just kind of wanted to um, whet people's appetite with this and and get them wondering more about it and thinking more about it and introduce them to you. Um, so before I let you go, where, where can people find out more about what you're doing with analytics in the game of basketball? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I would suggest my website, dribblehandoff.com. That has all the strategies we talked about today, as well as anything else that I've published. And then I also have a final four clinic session that I gave this year that has five underutilized strategies. And I go a little bit more in depth than the actual articles that I posted there. And you can find that on my website as well. And if you have any questions and you'd like to email me, you can email me at frank at gerbilhandoff.com. Down the road, we'll have Frank on again. This is something that of course is always evolving and he's great at it. And I, I, I love what you're doing and I, my team has uh, been affected by it and will continue to implement these strategies. So I'm pumped to see how those work out. So Frank, thanks so much for coming on and thanks for all you do for coaches. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate you having me on and I look forward to coming on again soon. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast, no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and share the podcast with your coaching friends to help us grow the game. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.